Hello, and welcome to Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, but we know this is simply not true. This is a Canadian podcast about the myths, legends, and just good old stories Canada has to tell. I'm Canadian Girl. Thanks for joining me here today on this bonus spooky crossover episode with my friend Chris from the Straight Up Strange crew that we are a part of, and he's the host of the amazing show Obscure Anomalies where he takes you around the world to explore the unknown and the unexplained. Head over to Straight Up Strange where you can find Chris and all my other strange friends. And of course, make sure to check out Chris's show, Obscure Anomalies, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find me on Twitter at OAnomalies or Instagram and Facebook at Obscure Anomalies. It's perfect for this time of year I'll of course include the links below. But let's get to this bonus spooky crossover adventure on the Great Lakes. Chris and I will take you across the treacherous waters that have claimed so many ships over the years. An estimated 3,000 to 6,000, depending on who you ask, have found themselves in great peril. Many of those shipwrecks remain lost to this day, leaving behind many haunted ships and many lost souls who are known to still sail on the darkest nights, known as the legendary ghost fleet of the Great Lakes. Grab your warmest raincoat, an extra pair of dry clothes for later, your scuba gear if you have it, and are brave enough to hop into the dark and spooky waters towards the end of this tale, where you just might experience your very own ghost sighting. As Chris and I take you on a couple haunted shipwrecks that are known to give quite a scare at times, so do be on the lookout if you do join us on the dive today. Those of you who don't have dive gear, can't swim, or just say, I'm not getting in there, no worries. We will have all the divers equipped with live cameras so you of course can watch too. to look for the very first ghost ship to join the fleet, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Great Lakes. There are five interconnected freshwater lakes that cover a combined 94,250 miles squared or 151,680 kilometers. That's basically the size of the state of Oregon, or Canadian example, it's a little bit more than double the province of New Brunswick. They hold 5,439 cubic miles of water. The lake size contribute to the amount of unruly weather and ships that have gone missing over the years, as they act more like inland seas according to cottagelifecanada.com than as opposed to the actual lakes they are believed to be when most sailors set out. They are known to have unexpected rolling waves out of nowhere, to be very deep and plummet into the unknown where many ships are said to be eaten alive and never seen again. It has such strong currents, it can take out a whole ship and crew in the middle of the inland sea in seconds, leaving them helpless or smashing them up against the rocks just below the surface, leaving the entire boat and crew in pieces, only to be attacked and then taken out by the waves. 
The Great Lakes are a very dangerous place to be sailing, especially around this time of year and November when they are known to be at their worst with their most wicked storms. Lake Superior, our biggest lake, covers 31,700 square miles or 82,000 kilometers. It is also said to have the worst weather of them all. So we will have to be careful on this adventure today as we will be for sure spending some time on Lake Superior. Our very first ghost ship to join the fleet was built all the way back in 1679 near Cayuga Island on the Niagara River just east of Niagara Falls where she would also launch from that same area. The exact measurement of the ship has since been lost to time, but she is estimated to be about 30 to 40 feet, or 9 to 12 meters in length, and some argue whether she was a single-mast ship with several sails, or a three-mast ship with many sails. What we do know is she is said to have seven cannons that everyone uses to identify her when trying to locate the still-missing wreck. And it even may have a griffin carved on the front of the ship. But before we get there, a little bit of her history. At the time, she is said to be the largest sailing vessel on the Great Lakes. She would set sail on her maiden voyage on August the 7th, 1679, captained by René Robert Cavalier Sir de La Salle. From here on out, we will refer to him as La Salle. He had a crew of 32 and began their voyage across Lake Erie, Lake Huron, and onto Lake Michigan, at a time when only canoes had passed through some of the waters. The Le Griffin would travel farther than most ships would in just three months' time through three great lakes. He would stop near the Green Bay area at Washington Island in Lake Michigan on September 18th. Captain LaSalle and 26 crew members would get off the ship to be honest, I'm not sure why, but for this story, it's not important at this time. What is, is that six crew members would continue on board the Le Griffin at LaSalle's orders and head back exactly where they had came from, to the Niagara area, with a full load of furs on board, believed to be worth thousands of dollars, weighing about 12,000 pounds. What happened next is unknown, but what is, the six crew members, load of fur, and the ship, have never been seen again, creating one of the Great Lakes' greatest mysteries. The Discovery Channel has a TV show called Expedition Unknown, which this May the show went searching for the wreck of the Le Griffin just west of Manitoulin Island in Lake Huron, where they believe she might be hiding. To the shipwreck community, she is sometimes called the Holy Grail in the Great Lakes, as she has remained lost for so many centuries. There is also an inside joke in the shipwreck community that she is the most commonly found and unfound ship in the Great Lakes. She is so often claimed to be found only to be turned down or disproven that it is not the Le Griffin. She is often believed to either rest near Manitoulin Island in Lake Huron or somewhere in Lake Michigan. Her true location remains one of the Great Lakes' greatest mysteries, and that's why she is still seen today as a ghostly reminder. So what happened to the Le Griffin? Some say LaSalle was heavily in debt and needed the ship to disappear in order to make an insurance claim. 
he sent the six men out knowing the weather was only getting worse and the ship may simply not make it. These are just theories, please don't yell at me, for this horrible man's actions. It is believed the ship did in fact hit a terrible storm and was smashed into the rocks off Manitoulin Island, somewhere which is north of Toronto and can be found in Lake Huron. Indigenous people have told stories for years of the white man's boat that crashed around the 1700s. Between 1818 and 1821, the British Navy did a survey of the area and found very old wreckage on the shoreline. It was reported to have been seen on the western side of Manitoulin Island in Lake Huron and washed away around the 1940s. Reports say pieces can still be seen in the museum on the island. In the 1890s, the lighthouse keeper Albert Cullis would find the remains of six human skeletons in a couple of caves. Four were found in one cave and two in another, suggesting they had possibly passed at different times. They were also found with brass and copper French coins and a silver watch. They were believed to possibly be the missing crew members from the Le Griffin. The lighthouse keeper would take all the evidence with him when he retired and no one knows where it went. Today the Le Griffin sails silently, almost as if she's gliding over the treacherous inland seas she once battled. Her ghostly presence has been reported for years all around the lakes by many sailors. She is often seen in the northern waters of Lake Michigan, with reports of an old antique-looking ship sailing about or around the Green Bay area, where she is known to sail way too close to passing ships. She is also spotted near the coast of Manitoulin Island, scaring ships that are much smaller in Lake Huron as she sneaks up on them in her silent sailing. She often appears on a very foggy evening, coming out of the fog to be seen only to disappear, back in it, never to be seen again. When the Le Griffin ghost ship is approached, she will simply vanish. If you do see the ghostly Le Griffin, beware, she is believed to be a sign of bad luck or a warning that something terrible is about to happen. Most believe she will continue to sail amongst the ghost fleet until she is found. Up next on the Ghost Ship Roadshow is the one, the only, Erie Board of Trade. That is, if it ever existed at all. What do I mean by that? Well, explorers, let's follow along and find out. The story as told by an unnamed sailor goes, The Erie Board and Trade disappeared from Lake Huron in 1883. She was said to not be lost by storms or rogue waves, but by the sinister efforts of a ghost. Allegedly, the story begins when the storyteller arrived on a canal boat and got a chance for better pay aboard the three-masted schooner, the Erie Board of Trade, which was then captained by Jack Castor of Milan. The storyteller said that he remained aboard the ship for two trips, from Buffalo and back to Chicago, hauling grain east and returning with coal. He talked about how the pay was good, but the work assigned by the captain was hard. So hard that most of the crew quit after a single trip, and new members had to be hired. Now, 
The sailors said that among this new crew was a red-headed Scotsman, nicknamed appropriately Scotty. Well, Captain Castor took an immediate disliking to Scotty. The captain ordered Scotty and two other crew to scrape down the top mast and handed them boatswain chairs. Scotty complained that the rope to his chair was too worn, but the captain ordered him to climb up anyways. Reluctantly, Scotty climbed the main rig, and he did so pretty quickly. However, no sooner he had rigged his chair to the supporting ropes and put his weight on the seat, the chair broke, causing Scotty to plummet to his death. The sailor then ran to his side. Scotty opened his eyes and looked at the captain and the sailor. Then they heard Scotty curse the captain, his wife, his children, the ship, and the owners. According to the sailor, it was three days before the schooner got to Cleveland. Some of the boys were leaving her there, but most stayed. The ship then left the port and were heading out in a tow of four other schooners. On this journey, the sailor and the captain witnessed the ghosts of Scotty. His lips were working just as they were when he had cursed the captain. This caused the sailor to leave the Erie Borden trade at the next port, which was a good decision on his part, as her next voyage, the Erie Borden trade, would never reach her destination. This story was printed in the New York Sun on August 20th, 1883, and was reprinted as fact in many newspapers along the waterfront town to the Great Lakes. Now, the issue I have had with this ship is that I could not find any information on this ship, nor could Great Lake historian James Donahue. In fact, Donahue was never able to find the name of Jack Castor among the rosters of Lake Pilots. However, there is some truth to the story told, and it lies in the details that the storyteller used in his tale. What do I mean? Well, it is obvious that the storyteller knew the way that sailors lived and worked on the Great Lakes in the 1883. He understood the tugs and pulls of the Niagara River on ships anchored in Black Rock, he knew the way schooners tacked against the westerly trade winds when sailing from Buffalo to Chicago. He was even familiar with the practices of hiring tugboats to pull a string of sailing boats against the currents of the Detroit and St. Clair rivers while passing from Lake Erie to Huron. In my research on the Erie Board of Trade, I was never able to pull up this ship. However, I kept pulling up a schooner named Chicago Board of Trade, which was around in those days. Though, the dates do not really line up, as the Chicago Board of Trade sank on July 1st, 1874, which was nine years before the supposed Erie Board of Trade. Maybe our storyteller wanted to create a legend. Maybe he knew of a red-haired man named Scotty that actually did die from an accidental fall. Maybe he mixed up the name of the ships and crew members to protect the identities of those lost. All I do know is this has not stopped people from seeing the ghostly ships sailing across the lakes, complete with a full phantom crew. 
adventurers, let's continue our dive down and take a look at the next spectral freighter in this spooky fleet, the ore freighter known as the Western Reserve. Constructed in 1890 by the Cleveland Shipbuilding Company, the Western Reserve was a propeller lake freighter built specifically for Peter G. Minch and his family's shipping company. Minch himself was a ship captain and operator who was pioneering the industrialization of bulk carrier freight services for the Great Lakes. So of course he wanted the most modern and up-to-date ship he could get, and the Western Reserve was just the ship. Coming in at a length of 301 feet, with a beam of 41 feet, and drawing in over 21 feet of water, the ship was innovative and a true prototype, a true one-of-its-kind at the time it entered service. In fact, the Western Reserve, along with her sister ship, the SS WH Gilcher, were two of the first lake freighters to be constructed out of steel plates. It was because of this steel construction that it was possible for the vessel to carry heavier loads of freight than her wooden rival steamships. But, as we know, innovative ships does not always mean the best. As the Western Reserve sank on August 30th, 1892. The Western Reserve usually held a crew of 22, including Captain Peter Minch. However, on this fateful journey, Captain Minch brought along his wife, his three children, and his wife's sister, as the ship made its way from Cleveland to Two Harbors, Minnesota. Sadly, of the 27 passengers, officers, and crew, only one would survive, the wheelman of the vessel, Harry Stewart. Stewart was lucky enough to make land on a desolate stretch of shoreline between Grand Marais and Deer Park on the upper peninsula of far northern Michigan. What follows comes from Harry Stewart's recollection of the event. At about 9 a.m. on that faithful morning, and only 60 miles from Whitefish, there was a sudden jolt through the hull and the main mast fell to the deck, causing a break in the ship. The break widened with each passing wave, causing the massive ship to take on water and it took on water so fast that the ship sank in 10 minutes' time. Luckily, the crew had enough time and enough whereabout to launch the lifeboats, and all were able to escape the ship. One wooden lifeboat held 17 people, including Captain Peter Minch and his family and some of the crew. The remaining 10 were located on a metallic yawl. Now, before the Western Reserve fully submerged under the water, the metallic yawl also capsized, sending all ten passengers into the water. The wooden lifeboat containing Minch was only able to save two of those people. From here, the 19 occupants continued to bail the lifeboat and drift about in the inky black water of Lake Superior, weathering the Great Lakes until 7 o'clock the next morning 
until it was about 10 miles from life-saving station number 10 and capsize. After capsizing, Stewart said he lost sight of all the other occupants. Stewart then struck out for shore, hearing the cries of children, the screams of the women, and even the moaning of the men, until suddenly all became silent. It took Stewart around two hours to make it to shore, landing ten miles above the life-saving station. During his debriefing, Stewart described the metal fatigue and structural failure of the only one-and-a-half-year-old lake vessel. This created conclusive evidence that the shipbuilders had improperly used brittle steel that was contaminated with sulfur and phosphorus. There is an interesting story revolving around one Captain Benjamin Trudell. Trudell reported having a vivid dream in which he saw the Western Reserve sink, taking all of its passengers and crew to the bottom of the Lake Superior. Trudell was a very serious and pragmatic man, so he was hesitant to share what he considered to be just a fanciful dream. Because of this, he did not attempt to stop the Western Reserve from leaving Cleveland on what would be its last voyage. Today, the Western Reserve can still be seen floating along Lake Superior near Deer Park, Michigan. The ghostly ship is said to produce huge banks of fog along with enormous rough waves. On the warmer, calmer nights, witnesses even claim that they can hear laughing and talking wafting over from the phantom ship. For this next ship, we need to be careful, as we are heading over to the deadliest of the Great Lakes, Lake Michigan. But have no fear, as long as you stick with Canadian Girl and I, you will remain safe. The description of the W.H. Gilcher may sound familiar to some of you. The W.H. Gilcher was built by the Cleveland Shipbuilding Company in 1890, for Joseph C. Gilchrist, the managing partner of a firm that was pioneering the industrialization of bulk carrier freight services on the Great Lakes. She was considered to be the sister ship to the SS Western Reserve, albeit the W.H. Gilcher was slightly larger. She had a length of 318 feet, a beam of 41 feet, and drew 25 feet of water. Just like her sister ship, she was specially equipped for riding out foul weather, and just like her sister ship, the W.H. Gilcher faced a similar fate. Just two months after the sinking of the Western Reserve, the W.H. Gilcher, whom was commanded by Captain Lloyd H. Weeks, left from a port in Buffalo, New York. She was heading for Milwaukee carrying a cargo of coal. The last reported sighting of the W.H. Gilcher places her entering Lake Michigan through the Straits of Mackinac around 2.20 p.m. on October 28, 1982. The issue? The W.H. Gilcher just wandered into a storm-swept Lake Michigan. 
Captain Lloyd H. Weeks was a veteran master of the Gilcher. He knew she was built to weather even the worst of storms, so he never doubted the integrity of his vessel. After all, the Gilcher was one of the best lake freighters that technology could produce at the time. So while other captains were seeking shelter for their ships, the Gilcher continued on her journey even though the intensity of the storms increased. The storm continued to worsen over the day and did not abate until the next day. Ships began to leave their protective anchorages and head out to their ports of destination. It was during this time that the tragedies of the storms began to become apparent. Vessels began arriving, or in some cases failed to arrive. Among the list of vessels overdue was the W.H. Gilcher. Not a single ship in South Monitou Harbor ever reported seeing the lights of a ship pass into the open lake. However, some reported sailing through the fields of wreckage of the W.H. Gilcher, including the battered pilot house. A steamer named White and Triant picked up a piece of cabin work which James Riley, 9 p.m., was carved. A mail carrier in South Manitou reported wreckage including a box labeled Lackawanna drifting ashore. Now, this wreckage came from a ship called the SS Lackawanna. You are probably wondering why I'm talking about a different ship while we're covering the Gilcher. Everyone thought the Lackawanna had been lost in the storm. That is, until she sailed into Green Bay. She was damaged by the gale, and the seas had swept her decks clear. But in the long run, she was okay. This raised hopes that the Gilcher may be disabled and at anchor or adrift somewhere along the lake. That was until more detailed reports of the floating debris were found. There had been many theories about what happened to the Gilcher. Some thought she collided with the schooner, the Ostrich, which was also lost during the storm. Others believe she sank after hitting the Fox Island Shoal. The sad thing is, to this day, no one knows. The lifeboats were never found, but eventually the lifeboat Strongback was eventually located. It was apparent that it had been struck with an axe. It seemed as if the crew, in desperation, slashed through the canvas cover to gain entry into the lifeboat. This led to the assumption that the Gilcher foundered suddenly, as the crew did not have time to release the cover in the usual fashion. Sadly, all crew aboard the Gilcher perished, never to be seen again. The Gilcher was the heaviest single loss on the lakes. It also halted the new era of steel shipbuilding. Sailors accused builders of sacrificing the lives of sailors with experimental building techniques. Both of the sunken sisters were built of a new, less experienced steel formed by the Bessemer process. Upon investigation of the steel, the investigators found it impossible to get a homogeneous stock of steel even in the same plate. Lab tests found that the plates and angles would crack in handling, heating, and punching. This put an end to marine use of the Bessemer process steel. Today, the W.H. Gilcher is still reportedly seen off the Mackinac Island. 
she is usually covered in a veil of fog. The spectral apparition of Captain Weeks is even reported seen at the helm of the ship. The ghostly vessel is even said to occasionally let loose with a powerful wail from its foghorn. member of this legendary ghost fleet is the Hudson, a propeller ship built in 1888, said to be one of the finest vessels on the Great Lakes at the time, measuring 288 feet long. Not only was she very sturdy, she was also very fast. The Duluth News Tribune at the time would even report that the Hudson at one point was known as the Greyhound of the Great Lakes. On Sunday, September 15, 1901, with 25 crew members on board, she would leave the Duluth Ship Canal to sail across Lake Superior, carrying a load of wheat and flaxseed. One day later, she would run into a terrible storm which caused her to sink along the coast of Michigan in Lake Superior. There were unfortunately no survivors. The lighthouse keeper in Eagle River, Michigan would report seeing on September 16th in the morning a sizable steamer dead in the water that would eventually roll over and submerge. On September 20th, headlines in the Duluth News Tribune would read, Steamer Hudson is lost with all on board. Some suspect the grain shifted during the storm and the crew would all go down below to try and fix it, only to be quickly taken over by the storm when not enough hands were on the top deck to defend it. Or possibly others suspect an engine problem may have occurred but for now, the lake holds this secret, as no one really knows. She remained undiscovered until very recently when she was found in the summer of 2019. Please check out the many awesome pictures I have linked below of this beautiful ship and the wreck they just found thanks to mprnews.com. For many years, the Hudson had been sailing in her ghostly form, but the key to catching a glimpse of her was she only makes an appearance on the same day she went down, September 16th. In the 1940s, a captain of a tugboat that had been refitted to be used as a fishing boat was out on the waters on Lake Superior when he came across the ghost ship in the lake near the Eagle River area. It's the last point of land in Upper Michigan. Thick fog had suddenly rolled in, so thick the captain nor the first mate could see anything at all. Within minutes of the fog coming in, the captain suddenly noticed a much larger ship heading right towards him. He sharply turned his wheel, trying to avoid the oncoming ship, which he did. He was so mad he sped up beside the ship to board and give the captain a good piece of his mind. As he boarded the ship, he noticed it was very, very old. It had cracked smokestacks, was very rusty. He had made his way further along the boat and realized it was actually covered in mud and some type of slime or sludge. He thought to himself, who operates a ship in such a mess? He then approached two crew members in the wheelhouse who had the darkest eyes he had ever seen and the palest skin. They would tell the captain their tragic story and how they relived the event each year. 
He instantly knew something was not right with these guys and felt an urge to get off the ship immediately, which is exactly what he did. He was on his tugboat faster than you could blink and heading out of the area at full speed, which was not very fast in his tugboat, but you get the idea. He was scared. The tugboat driver was never the same again. After this, he quit his job, the industry he loved, and never returned to the Great Lakes area again. Some say this is just a legend. Some say it is true. I'll leave that up to you to decide. And since the Hudson has recently been discovered, as some legends say, the ghost ships only sail because they are still lost. Does this mean the Hudson will finally retire from the ghost fleet of the Great Lakes? and rest in the eternal peace she deserves. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I have just the perfect haunted crew to keep their eye on that mystery for us. The last and final ship in this part of the tale, the most famous ghost ship of the legendary fleet, the Bannockburn. A Canadian steel hull freighter, best known to most as the Flying Dutchman of the Great Lakes. This famous ship would make her debut on the lakes in 1893, measuring at 24 feet or 75 meters long, and 40 feet or 12.2 meters wide. One day before her final voyage, the Bannockburn on November 20th in 1902 ran herself aground. She would turn back to port to have the freighter inspected. There seemed to be no damage found, and she went out the next day. On board, she had a crew of 20 or 21 men, depending on which story you read, a cargo of 85 bushels of wheat. The weather that day was said to be very snowy, and the Great Lakes were known, as I mentioned before, to be just awful in November's. Sometime after 11 p.m., she would disappear that night into Lake Superior and reappear as the haunted Flying Dutchman of the Great Lakes in just a year after disappearing, some say. A Captain James McMaw from the ship the SS Algonquin around lunchtime that day reported seeing the Bannock burn around Isle Royale, Michigan, but suddenly lost sight of it and figured the fog had taken it over. Another steamer, the Huronic, would also claim to have seen the freighter and said it seemed to be under no distress. After several days of not reporting to its final destination, back at the Sioux Locks after completing a round trip to Port Arthur, on November 26, 1902, it would officially be declared the Bannock Burn was lost. It's assumed she went down somewhere in the middle of the massive lake, as the only items ever found from the entire wreck was one life jacket and an oar. Some suspect a boiler may have exploded to explain the sudden disappearance of the ship. Others say the damage done the previous day when she ran aground was not properly inspected, and when it left through the Sioux Locks through Sioux St. Marie, Michigan, it actually lost its hull plate, which was later found at the end of the season when the locks were drained, meaning the Bannock Burn would have had a very weak point on the hull if this is true. The only known memorial for the Bannock Burn is actually for the captain, George R. Wood. Thanks to a very awesome friend of his who had it made in his honor, it can be found in Port Dalhousie, Ontario. Today she sails the Great Lakes known as the Flying Dutchman due to her many ghostly sightings. She is even sometimes seen with the Hudson 
and even the Western Reserve ghost ship that Chris told you about earlier. As the fleet terrorizes Lake Superior together, the Flying Dutchman is often seen prowling the waters of the lake between Port Huron, Michigan and the Sioux Locks, her exact route that fateful day. She is more commonly seen in the winter months, especially in November, during the storms. She carves her way through the ice and snow effortlessly to silently sail by other vessels and circling them as if they are prey. The Walter A. Hutchins was heading to the Sioux Locks shortly after World War I, it said, so sometime around November 1918. There's that month again, when she hit a terrible storm. She was 11 hours out from Thunder Bay and thought she may be close to the shore but just couldn't tell. A ghost ship covered in ice appeared out of the darkness, coasted alongside them, and then it vanished but not before the captain and crew members saw the ship's name, the Bannockburn. A flare would go off unexpectedly, lighting up everything around. It showed the icy ghost ship to be hundreds of yards away, but heading straight for them at full speed. The crew and the captain tried as hard as they could to put distance between themselves and the haunted Bannockburn. Just as the ship caught up, it passed safely on the western side of the Walter A. Hutchinson, they would continue to watch as the Bannockburn then ran aground on hidden rocks. Hidden by waves just up ahead of them, the Bannockburn smashed into pieces. It was then that the Walter A. Hutchinson and its crew realized if they would have not have switched course due to the interaction with the Bannockburn, they would have suffered the same fate. The ghost ship known to be so hauntingly terrifying on the Great Lakes as the Flying Dutchman may have actually saved a few lives on this stormy night. Now a couple extra ghostly tales that Chris and I just had to share on this bonus spooky crossover episode that involve a couple of the most known to be haunted shipwrecks of the Great Lakes. Here's Chris first to tell you all about the Kamloops wreck. Nineteen twenty seven, late November, a ship carrying a mixed cargo of paper making machinery, coiled wire for range fencing, piping and tar paper, and food stuff was dispatched from port. December first, that same ship called to top off its cargo with some bag salt. The ship then steamed its way up Lake Huron passing through the Salt-Saint-Marie Canal on December 4th. Unfortunately for the ship, a massive storm hit Lake Superior on December 5th. The ship in question was the SS Kamloops. Driving straight into the storm, the Kamloops was coated with ice, and the last known sighting was on December 6th. Witnesses saw her heading towards the southeastern shore of the Isle Royale. She would never reach her destination, as she sank, taking the entire crew of 22 with her. One of the saddest things about the wreckage 
would not be found until December of 1928. A trapper working in the mouth of the Agawa River managed to find a bottled note from Alice Betridge, who was an assistant stewardess in her early 20s. From the note, it was obvious she had initially survived the sinking, and before she perished, she was able to write a note to her mom and dad. The note read, I am the last one alive, freezing and starving to death on the Isle Royale in Lake Superior. I just want my mom and dad to know my fate. Every time I read this, it just sends chills down my spine. For years, it was considered one of the ghost ships in the ghost fleet because it sunk without a trace. That is, until the wreckage was found on August 21, 1977. She was found northeast of the Isle Royale, at a point now known as Kamloops Point. This wreckage has become one of the most infamous wrecks in the Great Lake. And this is not for its views or its story, but more because of its permanent resident. Considering the depth and temperature of the waters, the dive to explore the Kamloops was reserved only for those with the most experience. This meant that very few people were able to actually go wander the sunken bowels of the SS Kamloops. Those lucky enough, however, began to resurface with strange and frightening tales. Tales of a preserved body in the engine room. It turns out that the frigid waters of Lake Superior was able to perfectly preserve not only the ship, but one of the crewmen who was never able to make it ashore. The unknown and nameless member of the ship, who would eventually be nicknamed Grandpa, had floated alone inside the ship for over 50 years until he was discovered by divers. Some took to calling him Old Whitey, but those who heard the stories of the ghostly encounter knew that this was actually Grandpa's body. Explorers of the ship always seemed to think that Grandpa's corpse would follow them around from the time that they entered the ship until the time that they left. Some rationalized this as the lake's currents, but many insisted that there is something unnatural, maybe even intelligent, in the way that Grandpa moved. Some divers even said they had witnessed his ghost and his body in the same trip, but never in the same room. But fear not, explorers. Even though the idea of Grandpa's body is creepy, there has never been a reason for alarm. Grandpa has never attempted to hurt or drown anyone, nor has he ever appeared angry or upset. To the divers, it honestly just seems that he is happy to finally have some company. I know I would be. Today, Grandpa is still floating about the wreck, spending most of his time in the engine room. Many dive logs are filled with notes talking about how they are shaking hands with Grandpa or paying him respect during their dives. With a partial thank you to Grandpa, the National Park Service has protected the shipwreck as a cultural treasure, though they still only allow the most experienced 
and most respectful divers to explore the SS Kamloops. The Emperor was built in 1910 by the Collingwood Shipping Company in Collingwood, Ontario. She was a large steel ore steamer who was sold to the Canadian Steamship Lines Limited. She was 525 feet long and 56 feet wide. Right from the beginning, the Emperor was plagued with disasters as if it had a curse. In 1911, it overrode its own anchor and put a hole in its bottom. A crew member in 1918 was killed when he fell into the cargo hold. In 1926 and in 1937, she would run aground. In 1936, she lost a rudder, which is used to steer the ship. In 1947, after 37 years on the lakes, on June the 4th, her bad luck would catch up to her. After loading up 10,000 tons of bulk iron ore at Fort Arthur, Ontario, she would leave at 10.55 p.m. on June the 3rd with Captain Eldon Walkinshaw. It said he did not switch with his first mate when he should have and due to being overtired around 4 a.m. ran hard into the rocks, causing the Emperor to sink. Taking 12 crew members with her, the ship is said to have sank in 30 minutes. 30 minutes after that, the remaining crew members would be rescued by a nearby Coast Guard. Because she sank so quickly, it's believed those that left in the last lifeboat could not get far enough away and were actually sucked down when the ship went under. Today, the Emperor is a very popular dive spot in Lake Superior due to the fact that it's pretty much still intact and known to be very haunted. The propeller is still there, the engine room, and a bunch of crew cabins that are even known to have the odd crew member still sleeping in them once in a while. In 1988, a diver reported by author Frederick Stonehouse in the book Haunted Lakes that he had encountered one of these ghostly sleeping crew members in his bunks. The diver said the crew member looked at him so blankly he immediately returned to the surface. Another ghost is often seen still working away in the engine room. Most say he seems to not know his job is done. Sadly, in 1975, a body was discovered in the wreck it was removed by Canadian authorities. Divers often report hearing the ship's engine start or other engine noises at times while exploring the wreck. In 2009, the Isle Royale National Park claimed that out of the 1,062 dives made to shipwrecks that year, 350 of them were to the Emperor, making her most certainly the most popular haunted shipwreck in their waters. the ghostly cruise around our Great Lakes for this spooky season. A big huge thank you to Chris, the host of the Obscure Anomalies podcast, for joining me today on this very haunted, bonus spooky crossover episode. He's also a part of the Straight Up Strange family that you should be too, so make sure you head over to straightupstrange.com all this month to see what all the other shows are up to, as they all have something special planned for this spooky season. 
And again, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on this haunted cruise around the Great Lakes with me. If you all enjoyed these spooky tales from the Great Lakes, then you're in luck. Because all this month, over on my Patreon page, we will be doing very similar stuff. So make sure you're following on my social media at the handle at Nothing Canada so you don't miss a spooky thing. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to check out Obscure Anomalies wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find me on Twitter at O Anomalies or Instagram and Facebook at Obscure Anomalies. Until our next adventure, be careful around that water. We've found out many times on this channel. You never know what's lurking in there. I'm Canadian Girl. And I have been Christopher Rustic. Until next time, my friends.